0: Welcome to the Gathering Church podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. For more info about the gathering, you can check out the gathering.online. Thanks for checking out the podcast. Here's today's message. And I want to again say thank you for your faithfulness. And giving and your generosity. At the beginning of this year, we made a commitment to giving worldwide and local missions every single month, and so we're tithing on your tithe. So when you tithe, you are automatically giving. 10% of that is going to missions around the world. Isn't that exciting to be a part of that? Amen? Yes. Praise God. Praise God. Well, good morning, and we're, we're glad that you're here as we are finishing up A sermon series that we started at actually the beginning of this year in January. It's called Write the Vision. Write the Vision. The past two weeks we've taken a quick little break. Last week we had a special message for Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, I was told not to talk about the Super Bowl. I'm not going to bring up that the Chiefs won or anything like that, so I'm just going to move on to the message. Uh, But we talked about last week defeating an underdog mentality. We talked about the story of David and Goliath. If you missed that, you can check that out. And the week before that, we had a great word um, from Pastor Rick, my dad, on our thoughts. And I really encourage you, if you missed that one, please, please, please go back and check that out. He says, not all of your thoughts are your thoughts. We need to remember that because the enemy wants to plant thoughts in your mind and make you take the credit or the blame for it. So please check that out. But before those two weeks, uh, we've been looking through the, the book of Habakkuk. We've been talking about the vision. Because God has a vision and a plan for your life. Somebody say amen. If you know that God has a plan for your life, he has a vision for your life. We started in the first chapter of Habakkuk. He talks about Habakkuk is airing his grievances to God in this time. And I just want you to know that when we're frustrated with God, he is big enough and strong enough to handle our frustrations, right? When we're upset, don't, don't talk about God. Talk to God when you're upset. Talk to God when you're struggling. And then we looked in chapter 2. We looked at what should we do when God gives us a vision. Because we have a responsibility to play with that. We, we have a part in that. Habakkuk 2, God says to Habakkuk, write down the vision so they can run who reads it. We're supposed to write down what God is saying to us. We're, we're supposed to be uh, waiting patiently on the Lord. And, and thirdly, we, we looked at how we need to guard our heart from pride that wants to try to twist and take away God's vision for our life. We actually stayed in chapter 2 for, for two weeks. Um, we, we looked at the different woes. So that we talked about woe there of, of God bringing against the Babylonians. You see, the Israelites were struggling with the sin of injustice and idolatry. And God was going to use the Babylonians, a, a more wicked nation than the Israelites, to punish and bring judgment on them. We talked about the different woes for us, right? We, we shouldn't choose violence in our life. We, we shouldn't take what doesn't belong to us. We shouldn't force other people to do what is wrong. We shouldn't worship or idolize the things that are built in this world. And that's just a, a quick kind of catch up, a recap. But today we're finishing this series by ending with the last chapter, the third chapter of Habakkuk. And the first two chapters, Habakkuk is presenting his questions to God. God is answering his questions, and God also presents these woes. And now, this last, this last chapter is one last prayer to God. But it's not just a prayer. It's, it's a little bit different. It's not that prayer at the beginning of the book when Habakkuk is angry at God, saying, God, where are you? Why don't you listen when we're crying out to you? This is more of a prayer of hope and praise. We know that because of the very first verse of Habakkuk 3. This is what it says in the very first verse. It says it's a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet according to Shigianoth. Of course, we all know what Shigianoth is, right? It's just a normal word that we see just like any other word. No, what in the world is a Shigianoth? What is that? Well, the only other place you can see that word, the Hebrew word for that, you can find it one other place in the Old Testament in Psalm chapter 7 verse 11, uh, verse 1. It says this, A Shigion of David, which he sang to the Lord concerning the words of Cush, a Benjaminite O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. So, a Shigion or a Shigionoth, that's the only time I'm going to say that this morning, it means a prayer, a, a song, it means a musical notation. So while yes, this is a prayer, it's also praise. And I hope you know that prayer and praise, prayer and a song, they go hand in hand in our faith walk with God. Sometimes uh, a song can help activate what we should be praying for. Sometimes when we're praying, it can then transition into a song when we don't have the words to continue to pray to God. We can transition into a song that we know that deals with the circumstance that we're in. And so we're going to look today at this prayer of Habakkuk and three different prayers or songs that we can sing to God as we seek him and his plan for our life. Today's message is simply called Praising and Praying, Praising and Praying. And as we go through Habakkuk chapter 3, I want you to see the areas in which Habakkuk is praising God and he is praying to God as we close this series. And I'm excited. We're closing out the Write the Vision series as we look through this chapter, but we're also going to take a minute in the middle of the sermon to talk about the vision here at the gathering. Now, we know what our mission statement is at the gathering, belong, believe, become, but we've never talked about our vision statement. I hope you're excited to hear about that in this message. You ready to jump in? Bell's excited. I hope you're excited. More people need to be excited about this. But today we're talking about praising and praying. Here we go. Let's jump into this. Let's continue to read Habakkuk chapter 3. Read verse 2 with me. If you've got your Bible, you can turn Habakkuk chapter 3. As always, we have a sermon outline for you. It is on the Church Center homepage on the app. It's also, if you find us in the UVersion Bible app, you search us, you can find the Gathering Church and our sermon outline. Here we go. Verse 2, it says this. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. Habakkuk starts this prayer and song by saying, I've heard the report of you. I've heard the report of your work, and I fear it, meaning I respect it. I'm in awe of what you've done. And not only does Habakkuk say, I've heard about what you've done, but he says, would you revive what you've done? Notice it says revive it. What is it? It's revive your work. Revive your work. Make your work known. Habakkuk is saying, I've heard of what you've done, but I'm going to ask you to revive what you've done in the past and make it known today. It's amazing that throughout this entire chapter, there's 19 verses in this prayer, in this praise, in which Habakkuk only one time is asking God for something. The rest of this prayer, this praise, is acknowledging how great God is, the rest of it is acknowledging Habakkuk expressing his confidence in God. But there's one thing that Habakkuk asked God to do, and that is to revive his work. And our first point today, when you you are praising God, when you're praying to God, let it start with praising and praying for revival. Let it start with revival. This is, again, this is the only thing. In 19 verses, Habakkuk could ask for any amount of things if he wanted to, but he asked for this one thing revive your work the rest of the prayer is praise and 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 desiring god but what does it mean what does it mean to ask for revival and sometimes that can be a word that we just flippantly use in church right god send revival send revival to our life do you know what you're asking you're asking god to revive his work not revive your work There's nothing wrong with God asking God to help you with your work, but that's not revival. Revival is asking for God to revive what he has done in the world. And we're going to see stories throughout the rest of this chapter where Habakkuk gives examples of what he was asking God to do. But calling for revival should mean asking God to revive his work, not my work. Asking God to move in the present like he's moved in the past. So when we're saying, God, revive your work, we're saying, God, I know that you've met with people before, you've encountered them before, and I'm asking you to revive your work and do it again. It's saying, I know that you filled people with your Holy Spirit before, and I'm asking you to revive that work and fill people with your Holy Spirit again. It's saying, I know that you've healed people emotionally, mentally, physically before in the past, and I'm asking you to revive that work and heal people again. That's what you're asking for when you ask for a revival. Know what you're asking for. Habakkuk says, revive your work and make it known. Make it known that it was God who did this and not me. I think one of the reasons, we looked at David and Goliath last week, right? I think one of the reasons that David was the one who killed Goliath, obviously he was willing to partner with God, all those things, but God used the weakest, the youngest of eight sons to kill this Goliath, this giant of a man, to make it very clear that it wasn't David and his sling, it was God who destroyed the giants. Revive your work. What are you asking God to revive in your life? Maybe we need to be praying for God to revive his work in the government and in the city and in the nation so that godly decisions are being made again with biblical backing and support. Maybe we need to pray for God to revive his church again, that our church would be glorifying and honoring him in all things that we do. Maybe we need to be praying for God to revive his work in the entity of marriage so that God will continue to do his work. Maybe we need to ask God for him to revive his work so that the saints of the church would be filled with the spirit of power and love and sound might and not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but be ready to declare. Is it okay if I'm preaching right from the first point? Asking God for revival. When we praise God and when we pray to God, we should be asking for revival. It can be as simple as what I just said, saying that in a prayer form to God. But that's why there's also songs about revival, right? That's why we sing songs like, Lord send revival, Lord send it now. A move of your, come on, I know you know it. Spirit, heaven break out. Come now in power, cover this land. Like you've done it before, would you do it again? That's why we sing songs like, Come awaken your people, come awaken this city, O oh God of revival, pour it out, pour it out. You can pray for revival, and you can praise, and you can sing for revival. Revival is the first thing that Habakkuk says to God. He asks God to revive his work. And it's very interesting that not only does, in, in that same verse, he asks for God to revive his work, To make it known. And what's the last part of that verse? He says, in your wrath, remember mercy. The Israelites are struggling and they're receiving the wrath of God because they have sinned. We've all experienced that sense of disconnect when we sin, right? We feel that loss, that missing connection that we had from before. And we can pray to God. We can reconcile. That's why we ask, God, I know that I deserve wrath. I know I deserve judgment. But in your wrath, would you remember your mercy towards me? It's interesting that that was part of his prayer in verse 2. And after Habakkuk asked God to revive his work, he goes on to give examples of the past works of God. Let's look at some of those those past works. Look at verse 3 through 6. He said God came from Teman and the holy one from Mount Paran his splendor covered the heavens and the earth was full of his praise his brightness was like the light rays flashed from his hand and there he veiled his power before him went pestilence and plague followed at his heels he stood and measured the earth he looked and shook the nations Then the eternal mountains were scattered, the everlasting hills sank low, his were the everlasting ways. There's a lot of different verses that we could look here in chapter 3, but we're not going to look at every single verse. But essentially, from verse 3 all the way to verse 16, we are seeing stories of God's power, of how he has saved in the past. Remember, verse 2, it's a prayer to God to revive his work. And now here is a prayer and here is praise of listing out the different ways in the past that God has healed and saved people. Look right here in this passage. He's referring back to the times that the Israelites were leaving Egypt. Notice where it says the brightness The flashing of the lightning, like God's presence. What is he talking about? He's talking about Moses encountering God on Mount Sinai. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. Look at where he says the the pestilence and the plagues. What's he talking about? The infliction of pain on the Egyptians when they wouldn't let the people of Israel go. Habakkuk says, revive your work, and then he's giving examples of how in the past, God has moved. And so when we praise God, when we pray to God, we should praise him for revival. But number two, we should praise and pray for remembrance. The sake of remembering what he has done. As we live out God's vision for our lives, it's important for us to pray and to praise and remember the great things he has done in the past in our lives. And as Habakkuk is praying to God, he's reminding himself of these paths. Look at verse 8 and 9. He continues to give more illustrations. Verse 8, Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the sea? When you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation, you stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers. Habakkuk is talking about how God has used his power over the waters many times in the past. He used his power on the Nile during the plague to get Pharaoh to let the Israelites go. He used his power over the Red Sea to split it so the Israelites could cross and then to defeat the Egyptians who tried to to follow them. He used his power on the sea when, when the Israelites were going through the Jordan River during its flood stage. So they could cross it and then they could go defeat the Canaanites behind the walls of Jericho and enter into the promised land. Habakkuk is reminding himself and strengthening himself in the faith because when we remind ourselves what God has done in the past, it is strengthening ourselves with faith to believe what God will do in the future. Look at one more example, verse 11. It says, the sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows as they sped at the flash of your glittering spear. The sun and the moon stood still. Does that sound familiar to you? That's Habakkuk talking back to Joshua chapter 10. When they were going to to take vengeance on the Amorites. And God gave them more time in the daylight to see their enemy And fully conquer them. Habakkuk is reminding himself. And what does he do? He's strengthening himself and saying, God, if you defeated the Amorites in the past, you defeated the Egyptians, you can now, in our present problem, you can defeat the Chaldeans, the Babylonians. You've done it before. Revive your work and do it again. I remember how you've moved in the past. I hope that you can remind yourself Of opportunities where God has moved in the past in your life. And if you're struggling to remember anything, just simply remember that Jesus died on the cross for our sins so that we could be saved and go towards heaven instead of hell. Praise God. If you're struggling to remember anything, remember that this morning. That's why we take communion once a month, to remember the greatest sacrifice of all time. And when we looked back a couple weeks ago, we looked back at what happened at the gathering in 2023. I think we still have a few more of those annual reports. If you have not gotten one, take one. Take two. Take three. Take one for a friend, for a family. I don't care. We we need to get rid of them, okay? (laughs) They're sitting out there because we want you to look through them. But we began to look through some of the stories of what God did in the past. And I want to just share a few stories here of how we remember what God has done. Remember what our mission statement is, right? It's belong, believe, become. That means what We've been doing right now. I I don't want to get into too much business terms, but it's like, what's the difference between a mission statement and a vision statement? Mission mission statement is what are you doing right now? We're helping people belong, believe, and become so that the vision statement can take place. Remember Habakkuk chapter 2, write the vision so those who can, they can run when they read it. We're going to write the vision statement here so that you can run with it when you read it. And to do that, I want to share just two stories. There's a lot of stories that we could share about what God has done at the gathering. And I got their permission before I shared these stories, just so you know. But there's two text messages or emails that were sent. They're going to be up on the screen, and it's going to be hard to read, but that's the actual what we received. I will read it to you. Don't worry. But back in November, there was a girl that walked into this church for the very first time, because someone in this church invited her. I want you to know how powerful it is when you invite people to church. I hope that when you're experiencing God's presence here, you want other people to have that same experience and invite them to church. And because someone invited a person to come into church in November, this person that day texted me this. They said, She said, I got super emotional today during the first part of service today. That's never happened to me in church before. I felt so good to be in there. You are all so welcoming. Thank you. And just so we're all clear, the very first per- part of church here is worship. And that emotionalism, it's, we're not just seeking an emotional high. We're seeking the presence of God and the Holy Spirit will move on his people in those times. I love it when people that are unchurched walk in here and they say, man, there's just good vibes in this place. I'm like, they don't know it, but that's the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. And that woman that came in here in November and said that and texted me on that Sunday, the very next Sunday, she was baptized right here, dedicating and publicly proclaiming her love for Jesus Christ. And she's been attending ever since. Let me share with you one more story. I got an email on Christmas Eve. Probably should not have been checking my email, but I did. And I'm so glad that I did. And I read this email. It's it's in small font, but don't worry, I'm gonna read it to you. It says this Not long ago, I was begging God to take me out of this life and let me die. I've had severe depression and suicidal ideations and at least one major suicide attempt for around 20 years. I had a great childhood with the most wonderful and loving parents, but I let others' opinions or things they have said or done to me become my inner dialogue. I've truly struggled for so long to enjoy life. I simply thought I was a waste and unworthy of anyone's love. Since joining the gathering, I have been saved and have been blessed with His Holy Spirit comforting me and giving my mind and heart peace and joy. I finally see my worth from God and now believe in God's love for me. I now trust that God will provide a way for me always. I can't fully describe the amazing transformation God has given my heart and mind. Later in the email, she said this. She said, I no longer desire to hurt myself Or die, I now desire to become closer with Jesus. Can you give God praise for that story? Thank you, God. Thank you, God. These are just a few stories. I'm sure you have stories. I've heard many other stories of what God has done through His church. And it was important to me for the vision statement of this church to capture those types of stories. Because I love it when you say you feel welcomed here. I want that. But we can make people feel welcome here, but never teach them about the gospel or for them to have a transformative moment with God. It's got to be something more than that. It's got to be something greater. And so after talking to Pastor Scott and the board and my dad and Pastor Dennis and others, we decided this is the vision statement for the gathering church. It says, we gather to see souls transformed, hearts changed, and lives renewed by the presence of God. Amen. Let's say it again. We gather to see souls transformed, hearts changed, and lives renewed by the presence of God. And with a vision statement for a church, I didn't want a vision That we were trying to make happen and force and saying, God, I hope you can be a part of this vision statement. I needed a statement that said, God, this is what you can only do. And we hope to be a part of it in whatever way that we can. And I believe when we make people feel welcome and belong and believe and become, we're making an opportunity for God to transform their souls, to change their hearts and to renew their lives. And I believe just like the process of belong, believe, become, this is a process. And it starts with a transformation of someone's soul. That's salvation, taking a soul from death to life when they accept Jesus into their heart. But just because you've accepted Jesus into your heart, does that mean on day one that your heart no longer wants the things of this world? Does it mean that your heart is automatically in alignment with Jesus? No. It takes time for our hearts to change and be more like Christ. And through that... We will see lives renewed. And when I, I say the word renewed, that doesn't mean we're restoring it back to where it was. It means it's better than it ever could possibly be any way but Jesus. That's why John, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I've come that you would have life and have it to the fullest in abundance. in an abundant life. It's a renewed life. This is what we believe we will continue to see here at the gathering. This is my heart more than anything for anyone that walks through those doors in the city of Marysville. For their soul to be transformed, their heart to be changed, their lives to be renewed. And we praise and we pray God, pray to God for him to revive his work. To remember what he's done for us. And lastly, we get to End chapter 3. End the book of Habakkuk. Let's read the last three verses of this book. It says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. It's a powerful passage of Scripture. It's saying that even if everything else fails, we don't really understand what it's talking about with crops and produce. It means when your provision fails, The things that you hope for in this world, when they fail, yet I will rejoice in the Lord because he is my strength. The last thing that we can praise God for and pray to God for is for reliance. It's for reliance. And we praise God and we pray to God because we, what? Because we rely on him. We depend on him. We put our faith in him. I love that metaphor that God uses here. Our feet become like the deers. What does that mean? It means that we have the ability to stand on rough terrain. Because our feet are prepared for the difficulties and the struggles that we will go through. Because we are putting our faith, we are relying, we are depending on God and remembering that He is my salvation. We have to be willing to rely on him as we wait for him to move. Because guess what? We've all had times where we've expected God to move a certain way and then we're disappointed. We're expecting God to do something a certain way and then it doesn't happen. That part of what Habakkuk was saying goes back to the beginning of the the book. He says, "How, How long will you ignore my cries? How long will you not listen to me? But I love that at the end of the book, Habakkuk has realized that he can put his trust in God no matter the situation. And sometimes our faith is tested as we wait and we rely on God through the unknown. I'm going to invite Bruce and Teresa. They're going to come up and they're going to share a little bit about their story of relying on God. Maybe you've heard a little bit about their story. Maybe you know nothing about their story but this is incredible testimony a story of what God has done in their lives
1: Psalms 27:14 Wait for the Lord Be strong and let your heart take courage Wait Hi, my name is Bruce Forney, and this is my wife, Teresa. We have attended a gathering for about a year and a half now. I have battled a terminal lung condition for over eight years. You may say that eight years is a long time to have a terminal lung condition, but I say I've been blessed. I have outlived my prognosis three to five years and I stayed healthy and active until COVID. After COVID in 2020, my health started to decline to a point where I needed 15 liters of oxygen. Okay. (laughs) Over a year ago, It progressed from where I needed a little at night to needing 15 liters of oxygen a year ago. Around the clock to do just about anything. I was hospitalized at the end of this past October. And two weeks later, I was gifted a double lung transplant on November 6th. at the Cleveland Clinic just teen, just 14 weeks ago. Through the grace and the goodness of all God and the love and the selflessness of an organ donor and their family, I received the gift of life. My, my testimony is a true story being positive, faithful, prayerful, and a, a recipient of not only new lungs but a miracle. My outlook on life is that my cup is full and run us over. My attitude and my outlook are always positive. I don't want to hear no negatives ever. My faith has been a I am and have always been a blessing. from the time of being a kid through the man I am today. Although all through life I have been blessed through good times and bad, survival and danger, love and hurt. This past year of medical evaluations and eight months on the lung transplant list, I wholeheartedly believed in God's will, God's timing, and God's love and protection. I had no unbelief, no fear, no doubt, no darkness. I believed that God's will would be done on God's time. I believe in the power of prayer. Before, during, and after the transplant, I had people all over the world praying for me, including many of you. Thank you. We cannot to express our gratitude for all your prayers. I, I believe in God's power to perform miracles. A miracle happened to me 14 weeks ago.
2: Bruce and I approach life very differently and we approach this transplant very differently too. I am one whose cup is usually half empty and there's usually a yes but in my conversations. Bruce and I were at serious odds over this transplant to say it mildly. I was the one that was full of darkness and unbelief but mostly fear. I wanted a predictable course, even even if it meant an unthinkable end. I didn't want the risk. When I was faced with Bruce's insistence that he was moving forward with this transplant, my thoughts continued to focus on the unknown, the realities, the practicalities, the logistics of living in Cleveland for three months, and then there was no guarantee of success. Fear took over faith. I was afraid of life after transplant, which could be filled with a whole array of complications and life could be worse. Bruce's transplant happened with perfect orchestration by God, God's perfect timing, and I witnessed God's power in performing a miracle. Yes, there was a skillful surgeon and medical team who exchanged Bruce's sick lungs with a set of new healthy lungs. And there was so much, though, that cannot be explained by the science of medicine. God brought Bruce back to life with new breath in his lungs in record speed. A surgery that took only five hours instead of the expected 10. Five hours on a ventilator in ICU instead of days. And Bruce walked out of the hospital in 14 days instead of weeks or months. I sat there watching the power of this miracle being performed right in front of my eyes. It was like a very tight, beautiful flower unfolding and opening with elapsed speed. I'm usually quite stoic, but I could not stop crying because of the witness of God's power and command of Bruce's healing and recovery. The miracle changed us, and it changed me. It changed my heart, it changed my soul, my faith, and my belief. When I look at Bruce today with no oxygen, with color in his cheeks, and the first thing I noticed out of surgery that I fell in love with again was he had color in his lips, and I stand and stood in awe.
1: I thank God for this miracle of new life and breath in my lungs and give him all the glory. Amen.
0: Amen. You, God. Yeah. Isn't God so good? You know we get to see the end of their story we get to see what God did on the other side of that faith step but I can tell you from experience and I believe others could hear as well say I saw Bruce before the surgery I saw him when he still had to take and he had this confidence in God I saw him before they went to Cleveland I-, I heard him on the phone when he was still in the middle of this process and there was great faith there and I'm asking wherever you are in a situation If you're at the beginning of it, in the middle, or near the end, I'm asking you to trust in God and to praise Him right now in the middle of it. I'm asking you to pray to God in the middle of the situation and the circumstance, to, to trust Him, to test God. Thank you for listening to today's message. The Gathering is a place where you can belong to a church that loves you, believe in the God who is bigger than you, and become who God created you to be. For updates service times, or ways to get involved, check out thegathering.online. And if you enjoyed listening today, consider rating it or sharing it with a friend. We love you. The best is yet to come.